y'all welcome back to shit show saturday and today we are joined by someone that i just gave a nickname to last night in our in our group i don't know how he feels about it but from now on he is known as tommy bahama welcome welcome andrea my dad my dad loves tommy bahama i feel like that's like a dad (laughs) thing how do you feel about tommy bahama i don't own one piece of tommy bahama but that's a cool name i'll go with it yeah that's good you've been called worse i'm sure right you'll take Tommy Bahama. (laughs) um okay so you're you're in michigan right correct okay motown what song do you sir want played when you walk into a room um how about what's going on by marvin Gaye? that's good but somebody just did that okay (laughs) you got another one i can play it again I said, play it again. Yeah, Susan just just said that one. Um, so what does that mean? You know, it's like what, when you walk in the room, you're just like, what's going on? It's me. What's going on? <laughs> here I am. Um, here I am, peeps. Um uh carbohydrate what were you eating last night you were eating your favorite carbohydrate last yeah night? yeah we have a we have a place here we're we're in detroit but it's called new york bagel and they got the best bagels mm. and uh they have a they have a thing called a salt stick i don't know if anyone knows what those are but instead of round like a bagel it's long and and bready and you get them hot out of the oven and they're covered in salt and they're amazing it's kind of like a a pretzel, but a bagel pretzel. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a bagel pretzel, but it's straight. You know, it's like a like a size of a small cucumber. It's full of bread and salt and goodness. And you can you can you can cut it in half, and you can stuff it with cream cheese or lox mm. cream cheese or butter. You know, whatever you want to accessorize it with. Yeah, I had to stop buying bagels because one time I ate six in 24 hours. <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> you gotta eat them while they're fresh, though. So that's legit. You should do that. Bagels are so fucking good. I love bagels. So what about cheese? Um, Like, I love cheese. Um, It's like <laughs> the cheese of the moment is... Um, I don't know if you have Trader Joe's where mm-hmm. you're at, listeners, but... Uh, They've got this chevre cheese log. With the blueberries? Yes. You familiar with that? Fuck yeah. Yes. And it's, so yeah. here's a here's a pro tip on that that I learned from my friend Joe. They have these little hard crackers. They're made with uh, olives and dates, mm-hmm. which doesn't really sound great necessarily, but they're the little hard crackers. And it's the exact size when you slice the little round log and put it on that little cracker. It's like amazing. Highly Here's another that. pro tip. Have you had, you have to try their caramelized onion cheddar. Oh, that sounds good. It is so good. Does so it good. come in a log too? Or is it like no, a No, it's a block. Yeah. Yes. That's my second cheddar. I like the hard, white, sharp cheddar is like the standby. That That's my 
my second favorite. Okay, well get that get that caramelized onion cheddar and report back. Okay. All right, I'm writing it down. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, that blueberry goat cheese is like crack. Um, condiment. Oh, I forgot about condiment. Oh man, I like condiments too. I, I, you know, I gotta say ketchup because I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm a multi. Uh, I have two citizenships. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Born in the USA. Born in Seattle. Um, but my mom's Canadian, so I'm, I'm Canadian. And ketchup goes on everything. You can even put it on toast if you've never tried that. But uh, I also like Duke's mayo. Recommend. I was just dipping my barbecue potato chips in ketchup. Right. You can dip. You could. You can do a grilled cheese sandwich with your ketchup. You can I put it on do. your. Uh, yep. You put it with your uh, mac and cheese. Yeah, me too. Oh my God, you're like me. I do. <laughs> ketchup is king, you know. Ketchup There's is king. But if I didn't say ketchup, I would. I'd probably regret it. So that's it. I love it. Yeah. Heinz is my brand of choice. Heinz ketchup. Yes, none of that craft shit. Yeah. There's some bad ketchup out there. Oh yeah, like some of the ones at the airport, like there's one that's called like it's like America's like it's it is gar it's horrible. They should be killed. I'll tell you a quick ketchup story. I went Please. to a place north of Detroit uh called Whitey's and it's like all you can eat fish and chips and it's good fish and chips. I thought you were going to say all you can eat ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but ketchup so I'm eating with this guy and he's the ketchup guy too. And so we're putting the ketchup on the fish and the ketchup on the fries. And we get done with eating all we could eat, fish and chips. And like the ketchup bottle was like empty. It kind of grossed me out. Like we, we, we ate a whole bottle of ketchup. <laughs> all those vegetables. Together. We killed a bottle of ketchup. Man. <laughs> That's like... It makes me think. So one time I was like at a football game with my dad and we were like tailgating and I heard him talking to one of his old fraternity brothers and he goes, the guy's name was Bill. He goes, Bill, are you a car guy? I'm a car guy, Bill. <laughs> and I would be like, Bill, are you a ketchup guy? I'm a ketchup guy, Bill. <laughs> He's a car guy. I'm a ketchup guy. Yeah, me too. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mm, okay, so tell me about how you realized that you were an adult child. Well, um, probably was this podcast. You know, my friend Sarah Michelle was on your mm -hmm. show, and she's a good friend from a different program. Never met her in person. Great person. Uh, anyway, she was on your show. It was a funny one. You should, if you haven't listened to it, listener, maybe go back and crank that up. She's got a good book, too. It's funny and helpful, all go crazy. And so, you know, my higher power, who I call God, you know, leads me down these paths. And so I'm over 60 years old now. I'm like, do I still have to keep working? You know, and mm. the answer for someone in recovery is yes, you know, and I've kind of plateaued and, and, you know, what happened was 
you know, I think God just opened the door and says, you got more work to do. This is good for you, you know, and, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of like, really, you know, it's like putting new tires on an old car, you know, but I'm like, you know, there's work to do. And I listened to that and, you know, she just tells it like it is. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not a child of alcoholics. I'm a child of dysfunctional home uh, situation. I've got alcoholism in my family, but it's been kept a secret. I don't know. I've got it. I was born with this, you know, Mm -hmm. disease of alcoholism addiction. And, you know, I could be addicted to anything, you know, ketchup's an example. And so, um, you know, just, you know, give it to me, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, that, that actually broke a shame spiral in my life is like, just God just dropped it into my heart, you know, one day about a year sober, um, that I was just born this way, you know, Mm. nothing really to be ashamed about, you know, I guess I indulged it, but, you know, um, listening to the podcast and reading her book, and um joining your patreon groups and uh i also i'm part of you have a suggested actually acoc group on sunday nights in the patreon Mm -hmm. which i've participated in and that's a very formal 12-step you know run like the meetings i'm used to um but a really good group and it is a good uh, group so i've been doing stuff with them and i've got the red book i've got it on audible I'm going to get a hard copy because the thing is like, you know, 20 hours long or something. So, and it's hard to navigate, but, and my wife, Julie and I, we've been uh, looking at the, we were just on vacation and I pulled out the, you know, laundry list and both of us can pretty much check most of those boxes. So, so that's, that's how I got uh, doing this work. You in a nutshell? In a nutshell. So let's hear about the dysfunction within your home growing up. So um, basically, uh, my dad um, got sick at a very young age for me. I was in kindergarten Mm. and he was diagnosed with MS, Mm. which is a uh, neurological disorder. He loved his career. He's a, that's how I was born in Seattle. He's out working at Boeing Mm -hmm. and uh, aerospace engineer. And uh, it took his career from him. It took his ability to walk, his ability to talk eventually. Mm. And just this year, I, I lived, you know, longer than him. So he died about my wow. age, you know, just from, from a heart problem, from just being inactive. But mm. the result was my mom really raised us to a large extent and uh, went out and did, did the thing, you know, and got she, you know, climbed the ladder. It was, she was very great in that regard. And she went out and um, in a time when it wasn't really popular for even women to work, let alone, you know, climb the ladder. And she ended up, you know, running a school and, but she was gone a lot, you know, she, she was, she grew in responsibility. And so when she wasn't at school, she was in meetings and she was dealing with things and and my dad was ill and, you know, basically my brother and I were unsupervised. And so unsupervised uh, with, with a disabled dad. And I found adolescence, you know, people say, would you ever go back? You don't want to be certain age again. I would never go through adolescence again. It was like a hellish experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, when I was 15 years old, uh, we were messing around in the neighborhood and um, 
nearly put out one of my eyes with a firecracker. It was like a miracle they saved it. And um, wow. my dad had to drive me to the hospital. He could barely drive at that time. And, mm. and uh, after that, he had like some kind of a nervous breakdown. I always like figured I caused that, you know? Mm. And um, so I was an adolescence. Uh, I was born with pretty eyes, but my eyes weren't pretty anymore. And, and I had bad skin and braces and felt like shit. And, and so, you know, we, my brother and I, we basically, you know, self-medicated. We had easy access to alcohol. Back in the day, the drinking age was 18 mm -hmm. in Michigan. And so that meant high school was, you know, easy access. All our high school parties were like keg parties. Mm -hmm. There was always someone's parents. I grew up in an affluent area, but we weren't affluent. But my, I went to a private high school and uh, Catholic school for boys. And uh, and there were rich kids whose parents were flying places and had the house open and, you know, party on, you know. And so, um, you know, to kind of quote uh, Russell Brand, you know, um, somebody told him when he turned to drugs and alcohol at a young age, you know, how clever of you. So it was a clever thing to do in terms of it, it really helped. Mm -hmm. you know, um, I remember my first taste of hard alcohol is one way I can tell I've diagnosed myself as an alcoholic, you know, so <laughs> it was a spiritual experience. I can remember the place. I can remember what time of day it was, what it tasted like, what it was. I was like, oh, this is perfect, you know. And so I, I really wasn't a young alcoholic. I was a, more of a drug user in high school. And um, my brother and I, we were, you know, used together. And, and then, you know, uh, probably the era I was in high school, I don't know if anyone's seen the show Freaks and Geeks. There's a show called Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks was, is, was my life, you know. So it was set in Detroit. And 1980 is around when I was in high school and, uh, and um, I was a freak. And, um, mm -hmm. and I, I remember decisively getting to high school and deciding I needed a people group, you know, mm -hmm. it was a strong athletic school, even though we were in, we were athletes as kids, but I got in that school, I couldn't compete with those at the, the level of athletics. I didn't want to be a geek. I probably should have been in drama. I was in drama my senior year because there were girls and there was, you know, it, it was it was a healthier thing than becoming a stoner, which is what I did. <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. We did. I and I, whoever you may know who smoked pot, the person who smoked the most pot, I was that guy. So it was like from the time I woke up until I went to bed at night, mm -hmm. uh, I always had weed. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of money, but I worked, you know, I caddied, I worked jobs and a lot of my money went to that habit and, uh, and it mixed in some alcohol and a lot of psychedelics and how about any quaaludes? Quaaludes. Yeah. Quaaludes were pretty heavy, man. They kind of could kill your night. You know, one mm -hmm. quaalude, you might have to go lay down somewhere, but I tried everything. Didn't really like the quaaludes, but I liked some of the softer pharmaceuticals, you know, like Valium. And I would see, so we'd had, we had, we had relatives, a lot of medical people in the family. You just open up the mm -hmm. medicine cabinet, they're all 
be like a bottle there'd be a giant bottle of Valium, you know, the, mm. and you just, you know, take, you know, take some, mellow you out. It wasn't a big buzz, but so that was it. The seventies I had, uh, I had started failing college um, and I'm pretty darn smart, but uh hardcore partier. And I went to a hardcore party school and, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't showing up in school and, and I was praying and trying to get, sober and uh anyway i i got sober at 20 from drugs and um that's part of my story so it took longer for alcohol you know i still used it a little bit a and little bit got, <laughs> a little bit really i was really quite a social drinker till my mid-30s and then i the stress of my work as an attorney and and so on uh you know, I just started noticing a pattern in my life that resembled my addiction, my drug addiction. And uh, I, I very easily quit and stayed sober for like 11 years. I did one year in a program, you know, AA. And uh, the um, then I just was on my own. And I was spiritually pretty good. And, you know, but then later, you know, I was at a social event, you know, I was like 11 years and then like I was at a social event at a hockey game in a suite and uh, you know, I thought I'll have a glass of wine. I, you know, I'm a hypochondriac admittedly and of sorts. And, and I thought, you know, I probably overthought this. You know, I could probably have a glass of wine and, you know, I didn't go out and get drunk that night, but about two weeks later I was like in trouble. Mm. You know, I was back. I was back with a worse problem than ever, you know, that whole thing about push-ups in the parking lot is real, you know, just kicked my ass. And then I was, you know, I, I, have, a, I have a beautiful relationship with my wife and, you know, it's like having an affair, you know, I was like lying and, you know, volunteering for, you know, chores. To, I'll run out to the store, you know, mm -hmm. a 40 a beer on, you know, buy the groceries, throw down some, alcohol i drink at home you know she knew i was drinking but not the lot i was doing a lot of secret drinking were you married to her when you got sober the first time uh when when she met me i was sober from drugs uh, i was 20 when i got sober from pot which was a miracle it was like it was like they talk about in the AA big book about the spiritual experience Mm -hmm. It was like I did one bong after that and I never picked up again anything, mm -hmm. you know. And then like I had shared before, I was in this other, I was in a culty church group. And so they didn't really drink. They would drink a little bit. And I wasn't around people who drank. So for many years, I wasn't really drinking anything. Um, but when I met her, um, I was drinking socially. But yeah, I was married in my 30s when I got sober the first time, you mm -hmm. know off alcohol and then so when I you know I had to explain when I decided to try this drinking she was skeptical because I was piling up the beer cans I was into that whole three drinks is that's what I'll do but then it got to be you know higher alcohol content beer and then larger beers mm -hmm. then a shot in a beer was a drink right mm -hmm. legitimately so but it was shot in a beer well that's like six drinks then I just said you know and I just didn't follow that rule. And then, you know, I 
you know, then I knew I needed help. And I quit. And it was pretty easy because it was pretty, uh, the bottom wasn't really hardcore. And I, I stayed out probably about five years um, off and on. The last drink I took was in 2010. And um, I was faced down in a parking lot in Ann Arbor. It was uh, a good time. It was, rough. <laughs> it was yeah. I like to remember that. I remember what the what the what the parking lot. You know, if you ever been faced down in a parking lot, and some of us maybe have, uh, it smells like gasoline and dirt. And I had to call my mom and my wife to come get me. So I was smart enough not to drive. I almost saw a hotel across the street. I almost like walked out in traffic. That's that's how this disease will kill you one way or the other, you know. But yeah, that was my uh, that was my drinking career. And so thankfully I've been sober since that. It was a 10 month, it was actually on my 10 month anniversary. I didn't have my phone. I didn't really have a sponsor. I I just kind of set myself, I was a business setting and uh, felt, I didn't really crave alcohol. I was, I was craving approval. And so mm. that really ties into this ACOA stuff. And, you know, this adult child stuff is because, you know, we're people pleasers and that got, that derailed my sobriety. It was just the desire to fit in with this group I was in. I put a drink in front of me. I wasn't planning on drinking it, but how do you not do that? Mm -hmm. And so I picked that drink up and then everyone left and I was still there, of course. And I didn't have the tolerance for alcohol because I had been sober for 10 months. It was a shit show. 10 months or 10 so, years? Well, I was 11 years sober five years out and then i it was the 10 month anniversary i got i got sober that okay January, got it and this was a got number it. Got ish and uh yeah and then you know it was i would have gotten a chip you know if i went to a meeting instead of a bar I, but you know and interestingly enough after i got sober after that i was in another similar situation i was on my i went to meet an accountant and he I got to the desk and some very important clients that I wanted to impress. And um, they were at the top of this building. It was, at the, it was near, you know, the end of the day, business day. So they're up at the bar on the top of the building and like riding the elevator up. And I didn't get on my knees, but I basically prayed. And I, and it's like, God gave me a strategy. And I was going to walk out of there, even if it was right in the middle of whatever, I wasn't going to sit mm. where I couldn't leave. So I've got these strategies. I don't mind walking out of anything now. It's just my sobriety is too important for me, you know. So dealing with my adult child stuff, you know, that's important because, you know, that's it's a dual disease I've got. And and uh, I, it's really helping me, you know, what, I've, what I'm learning. It's bringing up a lot of things in my past, you know, and things like that. And, I probably hit my bottom. Usually ask that, so I'll jump mm -hmm. on that. Um, in in 2018, I, when my mom passed away, before she passed away, she was struggling with dementia. And my mom, right around the time I got sober from drugs in 1980, um, she had a like a spiritual conversion, and she, she just. You know, she was this beautiful spiritual person who was like um, a mentor to so many people, and she was really helpful. 
Um, but when she got dementia, you know, it's it's a real difficult disease. You know, we have a family member with it because you kind of lose them twice. So they have, you know, they change their personality changes and they might not remember what they told you, you know, 15 minutes ago. But, you know, so she remembered all my bad shitty adolescent stuff. And, mm. and um, you know. She was a, you know, and very independent woman, a go-getter. The doctor's saying, don't, you know, make sure she drinks her water, make sure she does this. And my brother and I wanted to keep her in the house with her dog and stuff. And and it was really difficult, you know, watching the decline. And, mm. and they tell you, you can't, you know, like what I'm learning through this program is um, you got to speak up for yourself. You got to do certain things, which you really can't do with someone who's struggling with dementia. Mm -hmm. You can't really give them shit back. You just kind of got to take it. And it's frustrating. So anyway, that was a bottom for me because it just dredged up all this stuff, you know, that I never dealt with. And they don't really deal with in my other program to a, to a large degree. Looking for a therapist, you know, talking about it with my wife. She goes, you think you could use a therapist? And so yeah, I think so. So I'm looking for somebody to do that work with. Mm. What would you say is the laundry list trait that you struggle with the most? Oh wow. Um I don't know. I'm pretty hard on myself. Um I, I'm a people pleaser. Um, you know, I don't like to disappoint people. But I've learned through business, you know, you just, I've just learned, you just got to say the hard thing. But in my personal life, I haven't really followed through that well on that. Mainly because I don't like to make my life more complicated. You know, mm. if I can just, you know, go with the flow, it seems simpler. Mm. Just to let people think what they think. And I'm still pretty much a live and let live person, you know, I just mm -hmm. whatever, but. There's times when I should speak up for myself or speak up for somebody else when I don't, because I don't want to, you know, I want to, I want that person to like me, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's what nearly got me killed, you know, for God's sake. So I, I really, I think that's the most important one for me. I don't know if it's the most prominent. Uh, I probably, if it's anything like my AA program, like with my uh, list of, you know, character defects, you do a fourth and fifth step in AA, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, God doesn't like make me deal with all of it at once. It just mm -hmm. brings them up one at a time, makes it manageable. So I expect that probably what I'm working on now is that, is that one is, is being, being courageous and just letting the chips fall where they may and speak up for myself and yeah, that one. Do you have any um, experiences or examples of, you know, like growth or you handling situations maybe in a different way than you have in the past? I think so. I think, um, you know, I've been really helped by my other program um, the uh, to, to grow. Mm -hmm. um, probably what's helped me in the short time I've been working on this is I've been very transparent with Julie, my wife, about it and bringing out like even the laundry list because she has her own inventory in this area. I mean, she's clearly she married you. 
Miracle. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, next week was 37 year anniversary. Holy shit. Congratulations. Yeah. God bless you, Julie. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, you know, it's, you know, it's been, it's been good, you know, but with that rough patch when I was using, I mean, that was, that was not good for her. So she's not, she's very honest. You know, honesty is underrated. Honesty is like, it's all about honesty, especially in recovery. It's just like, without honesty, I mean, the literature says without honesty, you're screwed, you know? It's just, there's people who are incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such, you know, unfortunates. But but my my growth has been really, uh, it's been kind of cool because um, I think we're, you know, talking about this stuff together because she identifies with things you know I don't want to talk about her business but you know we're both firstborn kids you know I'll say this you know highly controlling parents on her side uh, there was a couple you had on where like they told the daughter to come over to the house there it's completely like that you know mm-hmm. where you know, and they've never really cut the umbilical cord we kind of had to do that by just you know over years of just, you know, speaking up to the extent we could. But, uh, you know, so what's helped me so far is really to involve her in the communication and and working on some of this stuff together. And that's a new thing because she's not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Uh, She doesn't drink now because of health problem. And she was never, you know, she couldn't even finish a glass of wine. You ever no, go out one of those. You go on an anniversary date with her, right? And uh, spend twenty dollars on a glass of wine, and she drinks half of it. And it's just like what are, I, I oh can't drink God. it. No, those people. <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah, you see people leave like ha- like wine in a glass when they walk away from the table. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck was Who the are point? These <laughs> What planet are they from? Exactly. Yeah, well, that's like Julie's. Julie can pull that off, but um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So this has been beautiful in terms of just uh, mm-hmm. we listen to your show together. We listen to the pod together. Hi, Julie. You know, for one, it's you know high, it's highly highly entertaining. Oh, I don't know if she'll listen to this one. I don't know. I have to okay. listen to. <laughs> definitely. No, we definitely enjoy it not just from an entertainment standpoint, because uh, there's that element to it that we like, um, but um, it's uh, really been helpful. You know, a lot of the guests have been very helpful just in terms of sharing their stories. And there's a lot of parallels and things that happen with other people that, you know, really speak to things I need to face up to. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate your work. Mm, I appreciate you. So what are three things that you like about yourself? Um, I have a good sense of humor and I've passed that on to my kid. It keeps you sane. You know, the thing about, you know, uh, my recovery is like, you lose that, you know, if you're, you know, if you're an addict and you lose your sense of humor, it's like the world is a very dark and empty Mm -hmm. place, you know? So I appreciate that about the show and, and my, my own recovery. I got that back. I knew I was getting well when I could laugh again, Mm. you know, I can almost the first time you know and uh so my sense of humor um i'm a good listener and uh and um i'm a good writer i'm a a writer 
can't make money at that though. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. So I'm a boulder. So what is a hope or dream that you have for your future? Um. Wow. To become a writer. <laughs> yeah. <get> paid? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a spiritual. You know, I got a spiritual director, which is something apart from my recovery. It just has something to do with my personal life. But some call the spiritual director. My spiritual director is really pushing on that. And she's, mm. it's a woman, she's telling me, you know, have you written? So I got major writer's block. And mm. um, one of one of the Patreon guys talked about the artist's way and she mm -hmm. talks about writing pages. And so I think that's, it's like God's gift. I'm just started reading that. I'm a big reader too. And, uh, and uh, that book is, I think, I just know in my heart, is gonna break this block and get me working. So that's a that's a real legitimate and uh, is to get writing and, and to use that gift. Morning pages. Morning pages. And there's some other thing too. There's like another, I, I'm just in, getting into it, so. You should read um, The War on Art. Okay. And that's all about like resistance and particularly from a creative standpoint. Really okay. good. Stephen Pressfield. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Thanks. Well, this has been glorious. You know, you were saying like, let's be honest. Like you're like, let's be honest. Honesty's <laughs> underrated. <laughs> T-shirt. Did I say that? Is it one of my little sayings? Yeah. I, well, I don't know. I I imagine you saying that. <laughs> I say it a lot. Hmm. Well, thank you, Tommy. This was great. Love having you in the group. Thanks yeah, for being well, a shit show. Hey, you guys, join the damn Patreon. Yeah, damn to join Patreon, <laughs> you assholes. <laughs> You're missing a great thing. It's 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 a beautiful community that's just forming, and we need you. Yeah, we need you. My cat does, too. Well, that wraps up Shit Show Saturday. As always, sign up for the Patreon. That is where I host weekly support groups, and it's where you say thanks, Andrea, for all that you do patreon.com slash adult child follow me on tiktok and instagram at adult child pod and give me a damn five star rating on apple and spotify and i will see y'all shit shows on wednesday bye Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.